Morning podcast. Great to see you guys uh, all again and welcome to the start of uh, our series on Ecclesiastes. Like I said last week, I'm super excited for us to dive into this and for the next few weeks we're going to be working through uh, this wonderful book, seeing what God has to say um, to us as a church and as His people. And uh, like I said, it's a t- I think it's a timely uh, word for us. It's really encouraging. It does take a, a few different routes that we may not be used to, uh, but I think we're going to be really strengthened and helped uh, by it. So if you have a Bible, won't you uh, uh, grab it, open it up, have it, have it near you while uh, I'm preaching, while we're going through these weeks. Or, or have your phone so you can see the different verses that I'm referencing. And we're going to move around and have a look at a couple of other verses. Most of them will be integrated into the video, but it's great for you to have it there and to page through and see where we're getting all of this from. Before we dive into these verses from Ecclesiastes this morning, I was reminded of an event that happened in our marriage that almost derailed the whole thing. And maybe, maybe a touch dramatic, but uh, as I explain this to you, I understand why I chose those words. Um, it was one wintry morning uh, quite a few years ago before we had kids. And uh, I, was, I was up what I thought was early. I thought Claire was fast asleep. I'd snuck off and I was uh, in the shower, minding my own business, getting on with my day. Um, and unbeknownst to me, Claire had snuck off and then proceeded to sneak into the bathroom uh, armed with a stepladder and a bucket of cold water. She thought this would be hilarious. Somehow, I was not aware that she was there. She's quite stealthy. And snuck up and proceeded to uh, lean over the shower and, and basically baptize me with this bucket of freezing cold water um, as I turned the taps off. And obviously, um, you know, I was in a bit of shock. I'm not going to repeat to you exactly uh, what I said, uh, but uh, I'm glad to report that... Um, our marriage made a full recovery in time, and we are still uh, love each other, and we are uh, on the same page. But it t- took a bit of a detour at that point. Um, why am I telling you that? Um, I don't want to paint Claire in a bad light. She's obviously lovely, and she's put those foolish ways behind her. Uh, but when you get to the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a little bit like having a bucket of cold water poured over your head. You're going through life, you're minding your own business, you're doing your thing, living your life, getting on with your stuff. And then you open up the book of Ecclesiastes and you read it and it feels to your soul and to your life like someone's poured a bucket of cold water over your head and you have woken up maybe for the first time to things that are real and true and sobering. And I want you to bear that in mind as we start this series in Ecclesiastes. I think I mentioned last week that it's unconventional wisdom. This is not the stuff that you're going to read in self-help textbooks. This is not going to be advice and wisdom that many people will encourage you with. Solomon takes some circuitous routes here, but this is absolute gold for us. And I want to encourage you to stay the course. Some of these things will be maybe difficult, maybe hard for us to hear, may jar with us. We'll really feel like that bucket of cold water being poured over our heads. But as as we track with Solomon through the book of Ecclesiastes, I really do think God is going to strengthen and encourage us. Ecclesiastes often has a bad bad rap as a book that just speaks about life being meaningless. You know, what's the point? Uh, And so we don't really spend any time in it. Like, let's, let's head to the Psalms. 
maybe just camp in the New Testament, way safer, way more encouraging there. Who needs all this doom and gloom of Ecclesiastes? Even when I mentioned to some people that we were working through Ecclesiastes, I got a couple of raised eyebrows. But I'm really hoping that you'll uh, journey through it and open up our hearts and our minds so that God can speak to us. I said that uh, Ecclesiastes is written by Solomon. There are some scholars who would uh, debate some of those things, but I think um, for our purposes this morning, uh, as the book says, we can bank on the fact that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes and it's his wisdom, uh, God's wisdom through him uh, that's been shared with us. And so let's dive in and read Ecclesiastes from chapter 1 verses 1 to 11 this morning. It says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets. Panting, it returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south. Turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing, or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of those who came before. And of those who will come after, there will also be no, no remembrance by those who follow them. Just to those verses this morning. I think let's start this morning by looking at that word uh, futility. Um, it speaks, uh, starts off absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility. Everything is futile and depending on the translation of the scriptures that you have, uh, that word may be meaningless, maybe vanity. It's translated differently across different Bible translations. But the Hebrew word for, uh, for that's translated is the word hebel. And uh, we find Hebel translated uh, differently in different parts of the scriptures. And I'll point you to a couple because there's one legitimate, very legitimate translation of the word Hebel and it's breath or breeze. Um, and let me take you to a couple of um, Psalms that paint this picture more fully because this is, a, this is a very common biblical idea that your life and my life is like a breeze. It's like a breath. It's sort of like the morning mist, like a vapor. And we'll see this in some of these Psalms. Have a look with me at Psalm 39 from verses 5 to 6. The Psalm says, In fact, you have made my days just inches long. And my lifespan is as nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor. Hebel, that's the word there. Yes, a person goes about like a mere Shadow, indeed they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. The word vain there is Hebel again. Verse 11 of Psalm 39. 
You discipline a person with punishment for iniquity, consuming like a moth what is precious to him. Yes, every human being is only a vapor. Jump to Psalm 144, verses 3 and 4. Lord, what is man that you care for him? A son of man that you think of him? A human is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Whenever I read that verse, I, I think of standing out um, in, the, in the garden and looking at the grass. And sometimes you get those clouds, those fast moving clouds that come and they just sort of, they seem like to dance over the grass. And they're there one minute and then they're gone the next. And, and that's for me when I read that song. Those are the kind of clouds and the shadows I think of. They're there and they dance across your garden and then they're gone. Humans are a breath, they're a passing shadow. Psalm 103. Verse 15 and 16, the psalmist says, As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field. When the wind passes over it, it vanishes and its place is no longer known. That's how psalmist describes it like grass that pops up in a field. There it is. And it's serving in some purpose. And then the wind passes over and it's gone. And, and, and where it was doesn't even remember that it was there. This place is no longer known. You can't find it uh, anymore. The first point that Solomon is, in a, Solomon is at pains to uh, drive home into our hearts and our minds is that life is short. Life is short. Describing human beings as, as vapor, as a breath, as a breeze, as grass that just pops up and then is gone. It's, uh, not just Solomon, but the psalmist. The whole scriptures are trying to drive home that point that life is short. Life is fleeting. Maybe you've had the chance during this um, uh, extended and extending lockdown period to do some spring cleaning. I know a lot of people I see posting on social media, they've been digging through and sorting through photos and scrapbooks and cleaning out their phone and they're posting all these things and uh, seen some posts and you know, Claire's a scrapbooker so we've been tidying up some of the scrapbooks and stuff and sitting with the kids and Claire's made these wonderful scrapbooks for the kids and we go through them and we've got one for our wedding and you know, the kids were paging through it the other day and you know, it was all the chuckling and laughing about how, how, how young we looked, how old everyone looked. And as we went through um, the wedding album, we were looking at some family pictures and there were a couple of sobering moments there where there were some pictures there where we, you know, a whole bunch of older family members and some pictures where there's sort of maybe only one person left. Out of, a, out of a table photo uh, from our wedding, which wasn't, didn't feel like it was that long ago. And we look at these uh, albums of the kids and it's you, like one minute they're lying there, <clears throat> sucking their thumb and next minute they're back chatting you and giving you gray hairs and um, <clears throat> still delightful. But, uh, and, and you don't know what happened between then and now. Life is short and, and we're not even that old. You speak to people a bit older and they just, they will, they will drill this fact into your head. Life is short. Life is wonderful, but it is quick. It is fleeting. And the Bible makes that abundant point that it, not sticking around. It, life goes at a mile a minute and it is a vapor in some ways. You appear for a while and then you're gone. And many of us live life as if that's not true. Or we engineer and spend our whole lives ignoring that truth. But the, it's a sobering reminder Right off the bat in Ecclesiastes from Solomon that your life is short, 
Your life is a vapor. My life is a mist. I'm here for a bit, then I'm going to be gone. And no one's going to remember me. He moves on to a probing question in verse 3, and then spends the next few verses digging in and answering a little bit in a roundabout kind of a way. Verse 3 says this, What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? Solomon is speaking uh, in Ecclesiastes into some of our deepest desires. I think everybody wants their life to count. All of us want to go through life and know that the work that we've done and the life that we've built has meaning and purpose. And, you know, when we get to the end, we've, we've got something to show for it. What is there to, to gain? Uh, that work can be translated as, the, as if there's like a surplus, like we've got to the end and there's something to show. There's, there's extra left over, as it were, of our lives. We, we want to be uh, remembered. We want to live lives of significance. Some of us want to live lives that are momentous and have a legacy. There's something deep in the human heart that doesn't want to just be forgotten and have all your days counted almost as nothing. Deep in the human heart is a desire to control our environment. We want to be in control of as much as we can. Um, and Solomon will speak into these deep desires uh, of ours in Ecclesiastes amongst many others. There also is in our hearts a, a deep desire for experiencing new things. We sense the cyclical nature, and I'm going to talk about it in a minute. We sense the cyclical nature of, of the world, and, and maybe it's a bit monotonous, and we long for new things. We want to break out and, and find some satisfaction in the newness. And Solomon goes to work in Ecclesiastes to address these deep longings of our hearts, and here it is, to shatter our illusions. Ecclesiastes is an illusion-shattering book. And that's partly what makes it uncomfortable for us. We don't like our illusions being shattered. We live with them and they fuel us and they shape the way that we live. But this book is a great gift to us in shattering our illusions. And let's just start with three this morning. The illusion of permanence. The illusion of permanence. Shattered. Have a look here in verse 4. What does he say? A generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. A generation rises up and a generation goes. But what stays is the earth. And another generation will come and that generation will go. Another generation will come and generation will go. But the earth stays. What he's saying, and you'll read verse 11 with me as well, because they're tied together. Verse 11 says, There's no remembrance of those who came before. And of those who will come after, there will be no remembrance by those who follow them. Solomon is at pains to point out here that our illusion of permanence, the, the longing to be remembered and to be known, is futile. It's a sobering truth, uh, my friends, is that in a few years' time, I don't know how many years, no one's going to even remember that you lived. Yeah, some generations may remember some of your grandkids, great-grandkids, a scratch around, there might be a picture. You may do something great with your life. And they may name a library after you or something else. And a few people do get remembered a bit through history. But for the majority of humanity, you live and you die. And in a very short space of time, no one will have remembered that you lived. And the illusion of our permanence, of who we are and our legacy, and this monument to our lives, is just that. It's just an illusion. 
my kids love introducing me to new songs. And I, luckily I caught them out the other day, them trying to introduce me to a song that I actually knew. I'm that cool as a dad. It's a, it's a song by an Irish band called The Script. And the song is called Hall of Fame. I, my kids love it and they sing it all the time. I'm not going to sing it for you because I mean, you, you're suffering through enough at the moment. But hear the words. It goes like this. Yeah, you could be the greatest. You could be the best. You can be the King Kong banging on your chest. You could beat the world. You could beat the war. You could talk to God, go banging on his door. You can throw your hands up. You can beat the clock. You can move a mountain. You can break rocks. You can be a master. Don't wait for luck. Dedicate yourself and you can find yourself standing in the hall of fame. And the world's going to know your name. Because you burn with the brightest flame. And the world's going to know your name. And you'll be on the walls of the hall of fame. You could point to any one of a thousand songs and books and poems that speak and tap into the human desire to not be forgotten, to have our names written on the walls of the Hall of Fame. But the Bible has a different truth, and it's a sobering one that hits us right between the eyes, that that is not what we should long for, because it's not going to happen. The world will forget you. The world will forget you. This monument to your existence, to your life, will not materialize. It's futile to long after it. The second illusion that Solomon is out to shatter is the illusion of control. And he points in this to the cyclical nature of the natural world, uh, natural world to make his point. Have a look with me from verse 5 onwards. Let's read that again. The sun rises. This beautiful poetry that he's using. The, the language and the rhythm and the cadence of this is just wonderful. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun sets, panting it returns to the place where it rises. Gusting to the south, turning to the north, turning, turning goes the wind, and the wind returns in its cycles. All the streams flow to the sea, and yet the sea is never full. To the place where the streams flow, there they go, and they flow again. He's talking about the sun and the wind and the rain, and they just repeat in these cycles. And the point that he's trying to make here is that there's just a repetition that you can't control. You look outside, I've got no bearing, no control. Uh, over the fact whether the sun will rise tomorrow or whether it will set. Which direction? I'd love the wind to be blowing in that direction or maybe that direction. I've got no control over that. I would prefer it to rain or not to rain. I have no influence over those things. And Solomon is at, point, at pains uh, to point out that there, there is so much that you and I as humans are unable to control. And we should be freed from that, from the illusion that we actually can control things. Let me ask you an honest question this morning. How much of your life are you actually in control of? A global pandemic is a great time to ask a question like that because it throws up for us front and center just how much you have control over. Sure, there's some things that we can control. But I think part of what this coronavirus pandemic is doing is showing us again, not just the South Africans, but as the whole world, just how little we actually have control over things. And it's actually liberating if we will let it liberate us. There's a key to if we will let it liberate us and we will move away from the, 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 the desire and the feeling, the need to control everything. There's a lot of freedom to be found there. But Solomon is going for it and he's saying, look, watch the natural world. 
you've got no influence and no control over these things. And you see this pattern and it just goes on and on. Every day the sun's doing its thing. The wind is doing the same thing. The rain, it rains, you know, the streams take the water to the sea, evaporates, inland again, rains. It's just that cycle. It's going on and on and on again. And you have no ability to influence that and to change it. And so don't worry about it. The third illusion that he's longing to shatter is the illusion of novelty. Of novelty. Solomon uh, makes this case for the ongoing and cyclical nature of things in the natural world. And just how everything is wired to repeat like this and go on and on and on without our ability to control and influence it. And yet somehow we, we feel this monotony sometimes. Um, I think deep in our hearts as human beings, sometimes you just wake up, maybe you feel it more now. Uh, in this uh, period of lockdown, you don't, today is Sunday, uh, but maybe the rest of the week, you're like, I don't know what day it is. Every day just merges. It feels a bit like the same. What week is it? What month is it? You know, we're stuck in this, but even in our normal run of life, whenever we get around to something that looks like normal, uh, I think as humans, we long to break out of this monotony. We sense it. We sense these rhythms, these patterns, and we long to break out and find something new that can break this cycle. Have a look in verse 8 here. Listen to what Solomon is describing. All things are wearisome. More than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Can, he, can, can one say about anything, look, this is new. It has already existed in the ages before us. He's tapping in there, our longing for novelty. And you see it there, the longing to see something new, the longing to hear something new, the longing to discover something new. And it taps into our hearts as humans. We think sometimes that, well, if we can just go to a new place, or if we can just hear something or have a, have a different experience, uh, we'll be able to break this sometimes cyclical monotony, this boredom of life, and we'll stumble along upon something that's new, and, and that'll satisfy this restlessness in our souls, in our hearts that uh, is causing us this disquiet. It's like, why, why do I feel bored with life? I, I know what the solution is. It just needs something new. And he says, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. What has been, uh, what is, has been, and what is, will be. There's nothing new under the sun. Now, obviously, uh, there are new things under the sun. Uh, there are new inventions, there are new things. But he's pointing out the fact that they don't have a, 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 the differential quality of newness that can satisfy our ongoing longing uh, uh, and, and need in this area. You just think of how we're wired as humans. You know, we were content to look at the stars. Then we needed to make a trip to the, to the moon. And now we're, now we're trying to land on Mars. After Mars, there'll be something else. You'd think that we'd be happy to settle somewhere, but there's this, there's this increasing uh, longing for something new, for a new place, for a, uh, for a new experience, for a new sound, for a new relationship, for a new job, for a new and improved you. Think about what's going on in your own heart, in your own life this morning, uh, my friends. What is it that you're longing for, that's, that you're hoping for down the road? That new thing, that new relationship, that new stage of life with your kids, that new place you want to go and live, new job, new experience, new, 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 hoping that that will break 
the monotony and the boredom that we feel. And friends, Solomon is trying to point out to us that there's nothing new under the sun. All of those things are weary. If you look to them, they're not going to do what you need uh, them to do. He's out to shatter all these illusions, um, one by one, of our permanence, of our control, and of novelty. So, where can we go? Where can we go? Well, a couple of points of application as we wrap this up. Firstly, is that your life is short. I really want to impress that on you this morning because I think it starts, Ecclesiastes starts like that and it tees up everything else that we're going to look at. A reminder that your life is short, it's fleeting, you're a vapor, you're going to die, no one will remember you. Those are sobering things and as I roll them out, maybe you'd be thinking, I'm going to switch this off. This is a bit depressing for a Sunday morning. But my friends, if you get this clear in your heads and your hearts, it's liberating. And there's a lot of joy to be found in this, that you know that your life is an end date. And if you live with the end in mind and you reverse engineer your life, that's part of what Solomon's going after in the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. Life makes sense when you stop chasing the wind because there's nothing to be found in the wind. It's the chasing of the wind because is, that's futile. It's not that your life is completely meaningless. Solomon's going to talk throughout Ecclesiastes that, that this way is better than that way. It's not that nothing really matters. Oh gosh, this is the most depressing book in the Bible. He is going to say there are better ways to live your life. But if you're looking um, for life to give you what it never promised and what it wasn't designed to, there's going to be an endless longing and a dissatisfaction in us. And the first thing we need to front up to this morning, friends, is that your life is short and that you're going to die. No one will remember you. So the illusion of permanence and of, of, of all your toil, all of our hard work to make a monument of our lives so that something will stand at the end of all, all, our, all of our toil is futility. It's vain and meaningless. And with the rest of these illusions shattered, of our monumental lives, the illusion of control. We need to dig into this. And uh, I want to encourage you, particularly if you're a believer in Jesus, this is the most comforting truth. And I know it's a, uh, it's a difficult one because many of us are control freaks. But I want to encourage you today to sit with the Lord and to allow this truth to speak to you that you are not in control, but He is. And He is powerful and sovereign and He loves you. And there's a lot of freedom in being able to surrender the control of every aspect of our lives, even in a time of a global pandemic, to God and say, God, I want to look with sober eyes at this, that I realize I'm actually not in control. And you are and give me grace to trust you with all of the intimate details of my life and to find deep rest in there. Please liberate me, help me to move away from wanting to control every aspect of my life because I realize that that's just an illusion and there's nothing to be found there. And then for the novelty thing, for us to realize that there's nothing to be found there either. I want to read to you a quote by C.S. Lewis, the famous author from his book, Mere Christianity, that will help and speaks into this. He says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfied, 
That does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings, and on the other, never to mistake them for the something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others to do the same. Friends, as we continue in this journey through the next few weeks of Ecclesiastes, my prayer is that we would find the riches of what God really has intended for us. Especially for those who are, of us who are followers of Jesus, um, I want to caution you against interpreting into Ecclesiastes some things that it's not saying. It's not saying that there's a futility for those who don't follow Jesus and, yeah, sure, we found Jesus and these things aren't going to happen to us. My friends, this happens to everyone. Believe in Jesus or not, you're all going to die. Uh, we, there's no like sacred, secular distinction that Solomon is pointing to here. There's other parts of Ecclesiastes where he'll dive into that and the richness and why we should have a relationship with God and how that does change everything and change our, our life now and our eternity and turn everything on its head. But we can't dodge these things just because we're Christians. These are true and universal human facts. And it's a great help for us to front up to them today in a sober mind and say, Okay, God, this is how you've made the world. What are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to liberate me from? And where are you trying to redirect my attention so that I can hear you, so I can see you, so I can find you? Maybe this morning you don't know him and this message is a bit of a strange one for you. It's a message that's calling you to find him, to look for him, because there's nothing to be found in the pleasures of the earth that will satisfy you were made for something else. Let's pray together, and then I'm going to give you one or two steps as we continue to worship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this um, astounding uh, book that you've given to us, for the wisdom in it, um, for how it, it jars with us. It does feel in some ways like this morning, uh, a bucket of cold water has just been poured over our heads as we have read these things and explored these truths and Sometimes they don't sit well with us, but I pray that you would give us the grace to sit with these things and to ponder them and to consider uh, the weight of these truths. And that as we do that, you would wash over our hearts the freedom that comes from these things and we would live as wise people. That's your aim. That's what you wanted Solomon to teach us, how we can live as wise people, how we can reorientate our lives to find the greatest joy in life that you've uh, that you desire for us to walk in and enjoy. And so we pray that you would lead us in these things. We thank you this morning for Jesus, who is able to open up our eyes uh, and, and, and teach us through the Holy Spirit the truths that we need. And we pray, Father, that you would be washing our hearts in these truths, that you'd be showing us what we need. And Jesus, you'd be filling us with joy as these truths wash over our hearts this morning and that you'd lead us forward through this journey in Ecclesiastes to strengthen us and to ground us in deep and true and eternal things. And we ask that you would do this for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name.